So I saw Gene Kelly, yeah. right? High school. How do I be that? How do I do that? I want to impact people in some way. ADD all over the place. Not a conventional learner. Coming full through. How do I connect with kids like me? Because kids are more ADD now than they were. They have a seven-second attention span. They, they were. They're like me. Look, like I was. So I have been seeking for the last decade and a half. I've been seeking a way to connect with kids like me, who learn differently and through creative ways and means. This is where it all came from. Was well, how do I how do I uh, attach uh, fun and make it participatory, like you're saying, experiential? That's how I learn, and that's how a lot of kids now. And now we have technology to then do that. Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host Wendy Jones founder of Be Better Media and a mom of four, passionate about human connection. Throughout my journey, I have experienced many what I meant to say moments, but since life doesn't give us do-overs, I've created a space to reflect and tell our stories again with a little more grace for ourselves and the hope that we can help others and be better for having listened. Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I'm here today with Nate Lombardi of The Groovy Project and comic book curious, and I'm so excited to dig in um, on all things theater and empathy and cultivating empathy in the next generation and all the cool things you're up to. So thank you so much for joining me today and um, excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, my good friend Jason Debilius told me that you got to connect with my friend Nate. Like, you, Winnie, we've had so many conversations about bullying and you know, what this next generation is facing and how do we create kids or, you know, help kids feel safe in the world to be able to connect with kindness. And he's like, you just got to talk to Nate. So I picked up the phone and you were so responsive. And our first conversation was so awesome. I'm like, okay, we got to do a podcast. So here we are. And um, just give me a little background about uh, your life and I know you've been in the creative arts, so let's just give give our listeners a little bit of background of that, and then we'll dig in on the empathy and bullying. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up an ADD child uh, to two hippie-ish parents that were camp counselors uh, in the education world, so uh, running around like Tigger, uh, and I was a sweet kid from what I understand. Uh, but I don't remember anything about my, my, my childhood. Um, I do remember when I saw Gene, I, I was an athlete. I had played volleyball and soccer and baseball and I wrestled, uh, all the way through. And then I played soccer even in, in college, uh, and, uh, and volleyball for my, my freshman year in college. So theater was, um, what I did when I wasn't playing sports, uh, choir, theater, uh, show whatever it was um and it was just i was busy all the time doing things isn't that because I couldn't sit isn't that cool how back in the day we could you could do all of those things you know i yeah i i wonder you know if there's something to that yeah there there is well i mean and you you can talk a, a little bit about this i mean your son is playing at the top level in the country uh for for volleyball um, my nephew is, he's 10 and I saw him on Sunday do a backflip with two twists on, uh, on, on a trampoline. If you, if you've ever seen how fast you have to rotate to do two twists in a backflip, it's, he's 10, yeah. he's 10 years old and, and he does it four to five days a week. Uh, so he's, you know, part of the Pennsylvania state team and all of that, but I, I wonder, it's great because it gives him a thing uh, and he's a very bright kid. You know, he's part of the gifted program and all that. I'm very proud of him. But uh, I was doing so many things that I was pretty good at almost everything I did athletically, um, but never exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's a, that's an interesting thing. Do you, as a parent, you, I can like ask you what, what did you do? Um, cause you, you have a daughter that's playing volleyball and doing theater. Uh, and you know, you're obviously, you know, top of the top of the game volleyball player. So I, 
I, I don't know if it matters what they're doing as long as they're doing something uh, and they love it. I You hit the nail on the head. I, I always took their lead. You As a parent, you definitely, you know, you gravitate to the things that you know because life is busy and you're like, oh, you know, when I was a kid, I was on swim team. So you go back to the swim club and figure out, you know, those types of things. But once they start to show what they're into, like as parents, I think that's one of the greatest things we can do for them is to let them show us rather than us telling them what they have to do. However, I totally agree with you. You will be doing something and um, you will be busy because that is, you know, the, the, the virtual world is there um, and at their fingertips all the time, but it's so important for us to be out moving our bodies and connecting on a human level. And I think teams do that. Theater groups do that. All of those things that, you know, you just, they have to find something that lights them up. And if it ends up being one thing to get to those top levels, if they have the drive to do it, then, you know, you drive them and you feed them and you talk to them about it. And that's all you do, you know? So yeah, the forcing doesn't work in my experience. It's really interesting that you, you say that. And as you say that, I think about the 3.1 billion gamers in the, on the planet. 3.1 billion. And that includes Candy Crush. That includes, you know, Tetris. So you think about what, how children are raised with an iPad in their hands or a phone, um, at least in, in the U.S. And, and countries that have the wealth to, to provide those. Um, but cell phones are getting pretty ubiquitous pretty quickly. Uh, and now every college has not only a varsity, but a JV and a club team for, for gaming. So every, almost every school, and you think, and they get scholarships. They get scholarships to go to school for gaming. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. I was asked to, to be an advisor at the University of New Haven, which I'm not doing, but they have a, an eSports um, master's degree now, a master's in eSports uh, management, because the gaming industry will be $600 billion by 2030. $600 billion. Yeah. Um, it's now around 195 or 230 who you, who you, who you speak to, um, but it crushes the film and TV industry. It's a massive, massive industry and growing gangbusters so knowing that you know, that that's what kids are doing and not only kids the average gamer is 34 or 32 because I'm, I'm 45 and I grew up not gaming because I was always doing other stuff but all my contemporaries were you know so like you it, maybe a 15 year old has more time to, to game but it doesn't mean that someone that's in their middle age hasn't been gaming their whole lives so uh, and it's still part of it and, and and you can build really strong fun communities online while you're gaming uh i don't do that per se because i'm an entrepreneur and i'm doing a hundred things so i don't really choose to spend my my downtime gaming but 3.1 billion people do you know so that is huge it's almost half the planet um so uh I grew up and i had like a little nintendo i didn't even have a nintendo but i had an atari mm -hmm. and uh i playing sports. And when I saw Gene Kelly and singing in the rain, uh, I said, how do I make people feel the way he made me feel? How do I do that? Because it's a gift to make people, to give them that escapism. And that was through film and TV, but it can also be through gaming. It can be through, you know, sports. Um, but the way he filled me up, I'll never forget. Um, and Leonard Bernstein said when he saw that scene in singing in the rain, where he's dancing and singing in the rain, it's like a, it's like a reaffirmation of life. And I thought, how do I give that to people? Because I can't dance. I mean, I can sing, but how do I be that guy to people? How do I be that guy? Because I know my heart is big. I know that I want to impact the planet. And how do I do that without the skills that he has? Mm -hmm. um, so I went to school as a theater major at Muhlenberg College. Um, which is a nationally ranked theater program in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And it's a small little school, but uh, with awesome, awesome uh, facilities there and really talented staff. And that's kind of when I really went both feet, both hands, swan dive into the theater world, kind of catching up uh, with a lot of the other kids that were further ahead than I was. 
Um, so yeah, so that Muhlenberg College was a place where I, I just went back to speak, as I said, uh, this weekend, and I was walking around thinking about uh, how much that created who I am as a human. Uh, I learned things as a student, but I learned what's important to me uh, as a human, and I was fortified in my artistic pursuits by cool, fun humans uh, that were also doing the same thing. So, uh, yeah. So uh, then, I, I, I guess if you, if you, you're wondering how I got into the, you're wondering how I got into the empathy space or education space or, yeah, or what's it? What 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 else? Yeah. Well, um, I kind of want to go back to you. You said that um, just a little bit more on. I heard you say a couple things about you know how do I give back and having that that realization that you want to give back and how do we get to that space when you know, like, you know, that's in your heart and you, you can feel it as a person, but you said your parents were kind of hippies and camp counselors. And do you think there's something that they imparted to you to give you that signal yeah. that you knew you wanted to give back? I, I, I wish that everyone could go to camp. I wish that everyone could go to camp because at the camp that I went to, which is called Bear Creek Camp, my parents were founders of this camp, uh, and it's a Lutheran church camp, and they, I grew up going there and walking around and my dad being like, that's a sassafras, that's a red maple, and just learning about nature and loving nature, and then they had quest groups where they, they worked on character development and communication and singing and having fun and group work, and that changed me fundamentally. Um, it just became part of who I am. And my parents' best friends this very day are from the 1970s when they were camp counselors. Uh, and, you know, my mom was 20 years old when she w got married and, you know, with a little flower dress and a little flower crown. And, you know, like, and it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. They walked down and she walked down the aisle to, and even though I ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. Yeah. Like it's, it's a beautiful love story. So it was always part of my dad was a teacher. My mom's early uh, education teacher. So it was always around me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember being a, a highly empathic kid when I saw kids on the commercials, when I saw that the rainforests were being destroyed, I I remember telling my dad when I was seven years old, saying, "Dad, I, I need to send twenty five dollars uh, to to this organization. It's two one five. I wrote the number down, and he went, "That's a Philadelphia number. What are you What are you calling Philly for?" And uh, I told him. He said, "Well, Dad makes you know. At the time, my dad was making nineteen thousand dollars. We had a basically a." tiny little little house you know and he was a teacher and we we i i i didn't we weren't we didn't really have money but we didn't starve or anything it was it was you know it was yeah. teachers teacher salary i always see that i i noticed that because um in some of the stuff we'll get into with what you're creating you know i was thinking how how do we address such a diverse group of when you're talking about the next generation when their needs and wants are so incredibly diverse but i think you just hit on something there that's like there's a level of security that's provided where when you have that you know parents that love you and you have that home no matter how big it is but if you're not wanting for food for clothing for your one you know wondering where the next meal is coming from there's a place that we get to grow from that not everybody does and it's yeah. interesting to hear you say that and then to lead into that, that empathetic nature that you were born with, but how, how you yeah. developed that. So yeah, keep, keep talking about, you know, this, um, how you got from that space to, to what, what you're creating today. Cause there's, there's a beautiful link between your story and, you know, the, the, what you're creating with, um, comic book curious. Yeah. yeah. Um, just before we leave this, this, point. Uh, I worked in Queens in 2017 with um, a, a step dance team that was, we won a bunch of awards in New York City. Uh, and out of the 13 girls, they were all girls, uh, I think eight or nine of them were from single family, single parent households. And we did a, we did a PSA about, you know, broken homes. Mm -hmm. And the, the statistics are overwhelmingly uh, heartbreaking 
um, when you learn about the, the, the crime percentage, the, the early pregnancy percentage, the dropout rate percentage, the, all, the, 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 the percentage of what happens to children that don't come from, two, you know, from a two-family, two-parent household, the numbers skyrocket. Uh, and there's this great movie called Happy. It's a documentary that I've watched when I needed it de desperately. Um, and it, it talks about how if our basic needs are met, uh, the difference of happiness. So if you're making $5,000, and now I think the number is 50, 75, but at the time it was 50,000. So if you're making 5,000 or let's say 70,000 now, just pick a number. If you're making, if you're, if you're making that amount of money where you're secure enough to know where your food's coming from, to know that you can get around and all that. When you hit the security, the difference in happiness between someone that's making 5,000 and, and 50,000 or 70,000 is dramatic, right? Because where they're in their life, the difference between somebody that's worth $70,000 and $700 million is very small. It's, it, it, it is very interesting when you watch this movie because they've studied this happiness scale, what makes people actually happy. And it's not 10 boats, 14 houses, and you know, it's community. It's your natural disposition. It's having a sense of purpose. It's these other factors. So for me, knowing that um, and being grateful for a cheery disposition, because some people are born with chemicals, uh, chemical imbalance in their brain, and that's not their choice. Uh, depression, anxiety is is real. It can it can be it can come on, but it also it can be uh, can biological. So. Uh, to acknowledge that and to be grateful for what, what you have. Um, so I guess I just needed to touch no, on that that's, because that's, that's something that I think a lot. Yeah, about. no, that's really good. And I will go watch happy. And that's, that is, uh, I, yeah. it, it resonates with everything that I've experienced in life. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I should watch it again too. It's been years. Um, so from there, I knew that I wanted to impact the world through, through art because I, I, one of my favorite bits of information is during the depression, during uh, world wars, uh, people, um, they, uh, especially in the depression, um, Fred Astaire was a big star at the time in the thirties, 30, starting like 35 and, and then all the way to the fifties and people that were in the depression, which had started in 1929 and thirties was depression and then war war. And then we became the superpower, right? People would rather go watch a Fred Astaire movie with their pennies than they would eat. They would rather have their soul nourished than their body. And I thought that was so powerful. And I was, and it really resonated to me because at the time there was this earnestness because there wasn't text messaging, there wasn't email, there wasn't FaceTime. So if someone was going off to war, um, you might not see them again. You that could be your love. So it was a very, it was a very romantic time where I love you. You're the one for me, golly jeepers, you know, and I'm not saying it was a perfect time and I'm not saying let make America great again. I'm saying this specific attitude of being open hearted and, and putting it out there really got me. That was that for me, I said, love songs and that type of perspective is where I want to hang, where I want to be, where I want to live. Uh, so uh, I, I I saw Gene Kelly, then I learned about Frank Sinatra, then I learned about Tony Bennett, then I went, wait, who's Johnny Hartman? Who's Elvis Gerald? Who's Joe, Joe Williams? I started getting to the music of the jazz people uh, that I admired. And then um, after that, I moved to New York City. I did a children's story. I got my equity card. I did some TV shows. And I... Uh, I very quickly realized that I wanted to make music uh, with combining my two great loves, which were the jazz standards from the past and actually R&B and hip hop. Uh, so a kid from the suburbs, you know, that resonated that, you know, it was the nineties and this was, this was the thing. So I remember very clearly I was walking um, after spending the night at Midsummer Night Swing, I went to, uh, which is uh, in Lincoln Center, they have 
jazz lessons in a big band playing. And I remember them playing, uh, they were playing Sing, 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 which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I remember it started with, and I thought, that's a, that's a beat, yeah. you know, for someone that loved hip hop, that tap dance. And I start, and I was walking home on Fifth Avenue uh, in East Harlem at the time. Uh, and there were no white people living in East Harlem at the time. And I had a goatee and I wore a kufi. So people thought I was, uh, as a, you know, Latino mm-hmm. uh, at the time uh, because I kind of this, where are you from yeah. thing about me. Uh, but I was walking home and I remember going, gong, 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 gong. And I'm in Harlem and I'm going, white boys have got a little rhythm. White boys have got a little rhythm. Yo, I got rhythm. Uh, I got music. Uh, I got New York. Who could ask for more? Yo, I come on strong. You won't miss a beat. You better step aside if you can't stay in the heat. Hit you with the cup from 1935. And just like the Bee Gees, we try to stay alive. Yo, go, 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 go. And I thought that really works. That really works. The two musics that I love actually come from the same place, which is black brilliance, right? The jazz music and hip hop. And they blended together. Well, this is before in the Heights, before Hamilton. And uh, I remember going, wow. And Juilliard uh, at the time was having their first cohort and their first class of, um, of jazz musicians that were handpicked. There were 17 of them. So I went there and I hired them, three of them with my waitering money. And I said, y'all, I got this idea. I I want to make, you know, and they're like, you're going to rap over the swing section, bro. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like whatever. And I did. And uh, I was in a movie at the time and uh, I, I was at the rap party and I started playing this demo CD that I made with these kids. And this woman was in the corner and I said, she said, who is this? I got to get this CD. And I said, oh, uh, uh, it's my demo. I'm working on it. She went, really? Okay. Well, I'm a producer now for World Turns. You know, do you want to, you know, come and be on my show? And I said, I kind of want to be a recording artist and, you know, uh, maybe movies after that. But anyway, we became best friends and we both had Nora Jones and Eminem in our CD players at the time. And that was like, so she is my best friend to this very day. But to have an Emmy and Tony Award winning producer championing you is what you look for as someone that's an artist. And I found I found her pretty quickly in New York. And we then went around to New Line Cinemas and sent the CD to a whole bunch of places. And we stuck to our guns, which in you know 2020 hindsight, whatever, we should have sold it because we were offered millions of dollars to sell this screenplay, which was kind of like, Eight Mile meets Chicago in the, you know, where it's like this white orphan in Harlem that was, and, uh, but they wanted to buy it. And we were like, no, this is his Rocky. This is his Google hunting. And, uh, you know, we were like, no. And so we turned down some really cool deals and I put all my eggs in that basket. Uh, so that I did that for a while, um, in New York. And then in 2012, bullying, uh, came to kind of cyberbullying became a real problem very quickly. And uh, there, there were people that were um, committing suicide and getting really, really uh, affected by, by cyberbullying. So we decided to make a music video, me and my best friend, her name is Jennifer Maloney Preziosa. We made a music video at a school in upstate New York with this Emmy award-winning cinematographer. And we went and we did a one shot um, with a bunch of kids that have been expelled from their schools. It's called a BOCI school. Um, and we shot this one shot music video and it went great. It was taking one of my songs and the kids were really empowered by it. And that was my moment of clarity where I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to take my art and I want to impact kids because that's what I care about. And they loved it and I loved it and they were validated and I was, I was validated with my art. And, uh, then we got on 2020 and uh, like a hundred celebrities retweeted it and, we got a bunch of we got an NPR and that was really cool. That was the first groovy project because the name of the song was Groovy. And uh, it was based on this Jim Post song from 1960s, 1968, 
Uh, I think it's so groovy now. Yeah. People are finally getting together. I think it's... And we had an upright bass, and then I rapped. Yo, this is the perfect time and all place with this mix of people to talk about race. But I made this about uh, education and how they should stand up for each other, all this stuff. So it was a little hokey, but at the time, it, it felt right, and they gave them something to do. And uh, it came from a, a, a genuine place of, you know, wanting to, to make... Uh, give them an opportunity and give them an opportunity to, to be positive. So that was the first groovy project. Cause I was volunteering at a school in, in Brownsville, Brooklyn, which is a, it's a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and I was just volunteering and working with third graders and seventh graders. And I was doing actually the history of black music with the third graders. And we were doing scatting and James Brown. We were going through the history of, of black music, which is kind of the greatest thing that, our country's ever provided artistically in the world. Uh, and, and we were going through that to teach them history and pride and, and you know, and then we were going and seventh graders, we were wrapping the pearl, which was their, their assignment. But um, I was doing that. And then I said, okay, cool. This, this music video that I did with these kids kind of was my Eureka moment. And then for 10 years, until now, uh, I'm starting uh, to work again with kids in some of the most underserved communities in the country. So far Rockaway, Flint, Michigan, the Bronx, Harlem, uh, all of that came from me going into communities and how figuring out how to put some spinach on their pizza, how to make them better global citizens by just having fun and doing what they love, uh, as opposed to trying to uh, stand on a soapbox and tell them what they should care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I helped my friend. I produced a video for some, um, actually for some special ed teachers. And I ended up calling it um, connection, not correction. And I love what you're doing by connecting. You know, I mean, with what you're, you're so passionate about, but you've turned it into a purpose that, you know, connects with that next generation rather than pointing out, you know, the things that are wrong. It's start looking for the things that are right. And I love music because it really does help you connect with what you're feeling. And if you run into, I think there's a lot of situations, especially if there's not safety involved, kids are afraid to feel. So we turn the, you know, people, anybody really, we turn those things off when we're scared. And music has that ability to kind of start to draw it out of you and in a safe space. So I, I mean, what you're talking about is, and I'm not a musician. My old, my, my volleyball player plays the piano and there's no better place in my house than when he's home, he's playing the piano. I'm cooking like food, music, a little bit of sports, like doesn't get any better, you yeah. know? Oh yeah. And then I used to use Hamilton. Um, my, the one Kate who said it to Hofstra is, um, she was a Hamilton fanatic. I mean, every word, right? All the kids all over the country, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. she knew every word. And that stage of life when they're kind of in their rooms and they're like, oh, you know, they're not coming out so much. I would just put Hamilton on in the kitchen and all of a sudden, you know, they start coming out and she'd just be, it, it, it's amazing what it draws out. So I love what you're talking about. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know where I got this, this information but what we what music that we listen to in our adolescence is ends up being our favorite music for the rest of our lives uh, because we're just trying to figure out our identity at that time when you're a teenager or preteen and if these songs are able to speak to your soul and speak to your feelings uh whether it's angst whether it's you know heartbreak whatever it is you know uh, and if it's something like what lynn created with just genius um it's it's uh it's it's so powerful right and that is when you're dealing with children uh and you're dealing with teenagers like you said um and especially underserved children um that that are underserved not only with their food with uh with what's happening in school what's what's happening maybe in their home lives uh there's so many things that that might make a child or a teenager shut down because it's easier not to try. It's easier than to get your heart broken. Uh, it's, it's so you just, so let's just, no, no, I'm good. I don't want it. And so when I work with, with students, the beginning is 
to once show I'm not going to take disrespect. That's first of all, that's what I have to deal with. And two, I have to earn their trust because if I'm going into underserved communities where I'm, where I am usually the only person that's, you know, or, you know, they, a lot of people come in and it, it's all people by BIPOC, right. Which is black indigenous people of color, right. It, that's the communities that I work in. Mm-hmm. 99% of the kids that I work with are, you know, some type of black Brown or, or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and, for me, being a white guy coming in there, there's a lot that goes along with that. How do I, you know, acknowledge it, address it, say, uh, you know, these these are the different the differences. I'm here to listen. I'm here to to share. I'm here to lead with my heart, and that your heart is is that is something that is for me. Um, hopefully, transcends all race and all in all situations. So. Um, to, to, to lead with um, the empathy and go, I don't understand what you're going through. Please tell me, share it, write it down. Let's make a song about it. What do you want to say to the world? What are you talking about? Like, let's, you know, let's collaborate upon it because I can't speak for you. I have no idea, but let's, I'm giving you a platform uh, and tools to, to create something that you might look back at and you might be proud of, or you might look back at and you might be like, boy, what was I going through? But as long as we disable the comments, because a lot of kids are paralyzed by the judgment that they get on YouTube or social media. Um, and it's a really scary time because, uh, you know, in a middle school, out of the five most important things that kids deal with, three out of five are fitting in, fitting in just enough and then being just enough different. And that's more important than academics for most kids. It's more important than almost anything. So acknowledging that and going, cool, I know that what we're doing might be a little bit dangerous and scary for the social setting that you're in. But if we can get everybody on board with it and like pick out what you like, you want to be a makeup artist. You want to be a person in front of the camera. You want to work on editing. You want to work on costumes, whatever it is. There's something for everybody if we're making a music video. There's something for everybody if we're talking about you. And that's why I chose that medium because... They're watching YouTube all the time anyway. They're watching. So if that's what they're doing, let's go there and see if we can kind of help point them in in, in a certain type of direction uh, or at least show them opportunities in different, different perspectives. Yeah, which is exactly what you're doing with the eccentrics, right? I hope you're enjoying this conversation on What I Meant to Say, produced by my company, Be Better Media. To see the world of why we are striving to share inspired edutainment, I invite you to please check out our website, BeBetterMedia.tv. Here you will find all kinds of great stuff from upcoming new productions to lifestyle products and services I personally use and endorse, to links to great books and other podcasts I love and recommend. Please check us out at BeBetterMedia.tv. That's BeBetterMedia.tv. Yeah. So <laughs> good, good job. Uh, so, so um, the Legion, the Legion of eccentrics yeah. uh, dun, dun, dun. Uh, in 20, in 2018, Black Panther came out and I was, I was working in Harlem uh, in a middle school and uh, I was working with this awesome organization called the children's aid society. They've been around since 1868 or something. And uh, I was also going to the United Nations a bunch and uh, going to the youth conferences and I was hanging out and just participating and realized, you know, with the SDGs, which are sustainable development goals, um, there are 17 of them uh, that all most countries have agreed to work on these 17 different things, whether it's, you know, land, animals, sea animals, education, quality of life. There are different buckets, different goals that we're all trying to uh, by 2030, uh, get on board uh, and say, "Cool, we will only save the planet if we do these things, uh, and we need to do that. Do them collectively." And for countries like the United States, uh, we have done so much more damage than other countries, uh, and we have benefited from from the oil production, from steel, from concrete, from all the things, from technology. Uh, that other countries now are trying to catch up and we're like, no, you can't, you can't use oil. You can't use steel. So it's a really interesting time 
where uh, where countries like we're the richest country in the history of the world. How do we help other countries, you know, um, that don't have this type of resource uh, come come on come along for the ride? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I was so they created the SDGs to make it consumable and bite sized, um, but. I was going to these youth conferences and going, okay, cool. Lily Singh, yes, she's amazing. I'm a huge fan of hers. But besides her and a couple other things, they were kind of missing the boat. They they actually brought uh, the the uh, uh, BTS to come, uh, which is like the world's largest uh, uh, boy band. Um, they came and spoke. So they were doing some things, but largely the SDGs were going going unnoticed. So. When Black Panther came out, the kids and I lost our minds. We went freaking crazy because black superheroes were saving the world. You know, it was amazing. And I thought, well, how do we give them that? How do we put some spinach on their pizza? How do we put vitamins in their cupcakes? How do we make Wakanda Rwanda, right? How do we do that? Uh, Because kids don't consume media. They participate. Now they're on YouTube. They're on TikTok. They're on Instagram. They're on Twitch. That's what they're doing. They're not just sitting and watching things and switching channels. That's not how it works. So knowing that, knowing that it's a participatory entertainment now for kids, how do we create X-Men? How do we create the Avengers? How do we create the Justice League in a non-appropriated way that is participatory? And that's where the Legion of Eccentrics came from, is in every stage of production, we have, whether it's comics, TV show, video game, reality shows, we're going to have professionals collaborating, getting curated, working with non-professionals. So they actually have stake in the universe and they actually get have say in the universe. So instead of us, you know, um, calling someone from Nigeria going, I know someone from Nigeria, tell me what it's like. Well, that's a hard thing to say because there's 220 million Nigerians and there's like 100 different tribes in Nigeria and there's a lot of nuance to it. So how do we actually create something that Nigerians that actually represents Nigeria that they actually have something to say. And so, so then that is, that is the whole goal is to do this in a massive way and to become a, a Marvel, uh, to become a, you know, a DC where instead of it just being Hollywood creating it, it's not, it's a, truly a global, global community that's safe, that's fun and it's diverse. And if people can play and hang and create together, That'll be really cool. Yeah. That whole creating over consumption, really, that really hits me. And that ability to have that creative mentorship, because just like anything that we're, you know, you might have a little interest in something. If you don't have someone that can kind of give you that, the little push, the little bit of information, the little leg up, you know, you, you can get frustrated really quick and depending on, you know, so knowing, I mean, having the interest, but then knowing the right people and to have, to be able to connect, that is, that is just such a cool thing. Cause that universe just feels well, so big. Yeah. And only now is it possible with the confluence of technology with, with what's happening in social superherodom and what's happening with social media right now is the time. This wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago, right? So now, that, now we can reach out and go, well, what do y'all think? You know, we have, you know, and blockchain has a ways to go and cryptocurrency has a way to go. But in the future, we will be able to, we'll be wearing our devices uh, in every way, whether they'll be in our body or on our body. Um, this is the future. Technology is happening at a rapid pace, knowing that. Uh, so that's why we're starting with cell phones uh, with and creating an augmented reality game, a mobile game, as opposed to a, a game that's uh, a console, because, because we want a kid in you know, India, that's, that's in a very poor part to be able to play the same game as a kid in Bel Air, uh, and have that same type of experience. Uh, so that for me is really cool. And, and Gen Z, you can speak to this. They care, they care about this planet. You know, we messed it up pretty bad, not just us, but our parents. Um, and, uh, so, so Gen Z knows it, that it is urgent. We have to save the planet. So if we're able to give them a, a, a place to uh to take control and knowing that it's their world not ours we're going to be long gone by the time you know uh if we're able to to create that space then uh they'll they'll take care of it yeah and the little bits that i've seen that you you know that i you shared with me um 
what I loved about that little video that you shared with me was how you're really drawing out that authentic nature of people. And can you um, tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, just the, the different characteristics, the different types of, of, of people, because we're all so much more than just one thing, right? Like that's the thing yeah. I don't love about how we're talking to people sometimes is like, we're telling them they're one thing when we're all really just such an amazing composite of so many different experiences. And, yeah. but can you tell people how you're bringing out that authenticity through um, the Legion of Eccentrics? Yeah. Well, you know, the cool thing is Stan Lee has been doing this for decades, right? X-Men was about racism. It was, a you know, Superman, who was DC and not Stan Lee, right? Superman was an alien written by Jewish people from New York City that were getting, you know, uh, a lot of flack for being Jewish. And the representation of comics and superheroes and and the, it has it has had a direct correlation with social commentary for decades and decades. And it's an underhanded way of addressing things uh, that are that are really prevalent issues. Um, and that's that's super cool. Stan Lee, when he created Fantastic Four, the, the superheroes were not more realistic and he wanted it to be more about relationships and more about the the life of the humans not the superhero powers and that's and he's like he was going to get fired anyway so he was like let me just do something that i actually like and he did it and then it was a huge huge success and that's why people spider-man is by far by far the most popular superhero in the world because he's a 14-year-old kid from Queens that people can relate to. He's a dorky kid that like puts on he says doesn't say the right things. He wants to he, he wants to please every he's and that's why he is the coolest superhero and you know well I mean it's all perspective but it's why he's the biggest superhero. Um and uh you know I remember Yeah, you're taking me back. You know, my 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 now 15-year-old boy did Everything you just said about Spider-Man, I was like, oh, yeah. He was so connected. But like his si older siblings were like, when are you going to take that Spider-Man costume off? I mean, he ran around in that thing. Like most of our family pictures, the kids wearing a Spider-Man costume. So you're just gonna <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that was pretty wise. I love it. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, and that's that's the cool thing. So Stanley also created Black Panther, right? He he was one of the, the creators of that. Uh with the right intentions, uh, you know, and then you had a very, very largely you had white men and a few white women creating characters uh, from around the world. Uh, and and we're in 2023 now. That's that's just not cute. It's not cool. It's not it's it, you shouldn't be speaking for other people. And that for me is is the most important part. Right. Because in our universe, uh our characters will be flawed, you know, they will be humans, but they will, that's why it's more X-Men than it is uh, anything else because the X-Men, it's all about the drama. It's like, a, it's like a soap opera with drama, with superhero powers, right? There's love interests. There's all that stuff. Um, so that's what, that's what we want. So I've created 80 characters uh, for years. I've been walking around going, uh, I'm, I'm walking down the street, plastic man, rubber man, whatever. Uh, just going, what, what are interesting things? Now, Marvel and DC both have like 5,000 characters. There's so many characters. They've got decades of people that have spent their lives creating and fascinated and fanatical about these characters. So they know lore upon lore upon lore upon lore upon lore. And that's what I want for this. But, uh, but uh, I have started the ball rolling with some characters that are intended to then be taken and changed and made better and made more authentic by the actual people from the actual places. So what I've done is got the ball rolling um, with people uh, and um, that's going to be the fun of it. So, and the, another part that will be fun of that will be fun is if you are contributing to your character or you will all, obviously you have your own avatar and be part of our legions. We have 10 different legions, which we have the legion of artists, the legion of athletes, the legion of shooters, the legion of weaponers, the legion of racers, the legion of brainiacs, the legion of, uh, 
uh, I don't know, uh, a whole bunch of, uh, I said performers, whatever. So th- there's, a, there's a whole bunch of legions that kind of like Harry Potter, what legions are you in? Uh, and where do you fit and where can you contribute to the greater good or put to the missions? That's really fun. We're going to classify people in their missions. Um, but, uh, but also for the national characters, uh, if, and when they contribute to a movie, to a cartoon, to a comic book, to a whatever, we will then pay them royalties. Uh, so they'll, they'll actually get paid out for contributing to it. Uh, which is, you know, that right there we can do because of technology. Um, and, uh, and that is going to change hopefully entertainment. Wow. I mean, that is just the amount of connection that you're creating in the virtual world. is just, it's mind blowing to me. Like, you know what I, it, it, it's only, it's only happened because I am, someone that cares about connection overall. Like that is the whole super objective. I am not someone that's a crazy gamer. I'm not someone that's a crazy comic book person. I'm not someone that's like, that knows every film of all time. I'm not someone that knows every superhero of all time. It literally came from what are they doing? What do they love? And how do we make that cool and connect the world with impact, with gaming and with entertainment. How do we be at the nexus of those three things and get the best people from each sector to, to contribute to it and be part of it? Yeah. That is how we're going to create a movement, which is way cooler than just creating another superhero universe or another fictional universe, which there are thousands, if not millions of, right? There, there's not a lack of, of universes out there that if you want to pick up a you know graphic novel or watch one of one trillion videos or, or one trillion TV shows on a thousand streaming services. Yeah. The thing that makes this different is the participatory aspect. So cool. And so how are you connecting with those potential creators out there? Uh, slowly but surely. Um, I, I have a team, I have two Nigerians that work with me. I have a Filipino that works with me. I have a couple of Venezuelans that work with me. I have this guy from Miami. Uh, I've got people in Portland, uh, San Diego. Uh, we've been, we've been creating, we've had over 550 articles that we've written, uh, for the comic book Cures website, talking about human interest stories. We've done art contests on our discord so we give out prizes for people we're like okay this week is middle middle medieval you know lore create something on that so we'll do contests we go to comic cons uh we we create prizes for comic cons cosplayers seem to be where we're going to start focusing mostly on comic-con play because cosplayers already they already dive deep into time and effort and care because they're they're sewing costumes and spending money on it, so they are special and beautiful breed of people. So if we know that they're that that committed to the creativity, those are kind of going to be our people and toy collectors and comic book collectors and people that uh, like for me who isn't any of those things. I just love the Marvel movies, the DC movies, and all of that. We want to create a space where someone that knows every planet in Star Wars can have a, a fun conversation with someone that just, you know, watches the Marvel movies yeah. and not it be the snobbery of, well, you don't know the fourth galaxy of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Like, and unfortunately, I didn't know this till maybe a couple of years ago. It's, it, there's a lot of white male toxicity in, in the nerd community. Like I want my star Wars back or oh, I want my, you know, I want my, you know, X-Men back or I want, you know, and, and, and the, the, the close mindedness of that is not welcome in what I'm building. Uh, and, and when I say I, I mean, we, as a, as, as comic book curious network and the Legion of eccentrics, cause it's all collaborative. That is so, so cool. Um, Everything you're hitting on as you talk about all these different, uh, you know, Star Wars to Harry Potter to all the things you've mentioned, like that concept of imagination and how to draw that out in a child. I, I'm just, you know, it, it takes me back to what, where we started. But like, how do you what are some of the best ways you would say, like as you're with with young kids now and the way the world is today? Like, how do we draw, start to draw that imagination out in them? 
you know, I, I don't know that, I think that it's, uh, the imagination is there. The, it, the, 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 the fun, the, the sense of play is there that it's a matter of, okay, cool. For example, on Sunday, I, with my niece and nephew, I went, they wanted to spend time on their iPads. I let them spend like 15, 20 minutes on their iPads playing or watching whatever they chose. And then, okay, we went on the trampoline and we tramped. And then we, then we went and we, we played Super Smash Brothers. So it was me trying to connect with them where they are. And then, okay, cool. Now I know what they're into. It's not their job for, to connect with me. It's my job to connect with them. Uh, so, uh, so, and it's a completely different world and it will be a completely different world in 10 years. Yeah. Right. So when my niece who is six turns 16, who knows what jobs, who knows what technology is going to be happening at the, at the time. So to be obsessed about the next thing and how to find connection is my obsession is, OK, cool. Now, how do we get a girl from Mukunji, Pennsylvania, who's six to connect with a Chinese or a Nigerian or a Brazilian or like how, where are the common threads that they can all pull from and create together and go, wow, that's. I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know that, that, that they were going through that. I, I had no idea. And then, then, then empathy just happens because you start playing and caring about people in an online community. And the reason that we want to have it outside with augmented reality and have them walking around on their mobile phones is so they're not just sedentary sitting in front of a TV. So they're out doing things, learning stuff, and we can build things in real life. Uh, and that. So again, not just trying to create a game, but trying to create a movement where that they they really yeah. feel like they're part of, and that's what a movement is when people put themselves into it. Yeah, and I, you're you're hitting on something that the podcast that released this week, I talked to a um, an RN from Columbia University um, on narrative medicine and moral health and all of the things that are really you know at the forefront of how we could make our healthcare system better, and um, yeah we had this discussion too, because the next generation always gets into these conversations, no matter what I'm talking about. And she said, um, she said, yeah, it's, it's incumbent upon us to work with them. It's not, you know, to, yeah. to, to sit and be the generation that says, Oh, I wish it was like, or I wish why here's a book, like take away your iPad. She's like, no, that their, their genius is there. And how do we work with them? And so it's like to have that conversation a couple of weeks ago and then be sitting here talking to you. I'm like, I just love seeing how these threads go through. I'm like, it's, it's happening. And it's, it's so awesome. Wendy. Good for you. Look, you're making the connections it's so cool. it's for me. And, the, and you know, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of people that do things for the planet. Like, you know, Bill Gates is a flawed man, but what he's done for the planet is cool. What he's continuing doing, what his wife is doing. And he says, you know, I could tell you stats about 10 million children that are starving from whatever or dying from, a, but that won't hit, that won't hit at all. But I could tell you about one child from one place and tell what they've gone through and that will hit narratives and if you listen to this guy named Yuval Harari, who is he created, he wrote this book called Sapiens, and then he wrote 21st Century uh, Lessons of the 21st Century and Homo Deus. It's a, it's a three series, three book series, which are it's an amazing series. They talk about storytelling is what makes humans different, what drives us, and you know the culture around all of that. Um, so for me, we can have really important conversations through narratives and not have, and not be kind of a, a heavy handed lesson, but it just be a place that they're creating. And through narratives, X-Men has been doing it. Avengers have been doing it. We can talk about a lot of things uh, or not even talk about them, just expose and kind of uncover a lot of things through this world in a very specific way in different countries and different settings um, just by by uh, having them participate in what matters in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I always say like you know everybody's got a messenger, right? I mean it doesn't matter. People can get out there and they'll say, oh, it's already been done, or I, you know. But the thing is, is that your message is going to hit with someone that it belongs, you know, where it, where it where it's meant to be. And so I, yeah, yeah. I I love that, and that's why I love storytelling too, because it is it's yeah. that one story that sticks with you. I can't keep statistics in my head. I, I wrote I wrote down some of the things that you said because those were some good numbers. But I can't keep, I can keep a story forever, but I can't keep statistics. 
Yeah. Well, there, that's what hits home. And, you know, so there's this guy named Joseph Campbell. And he, he was. Yeah. I was going to say Campbell? the hero's yeah. journey. I was like, you're, you're giving them their own hero's journey. So, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so that's right. And then, you know, there's this guy named Blake, Blake Snyder who took his stuff and put it into this kind of template for movies. Yeah. So that's kind of what we'll be doing is being giving them the templates to work with to tell their own, you know, hero's journey. Uh, and that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and to do it with prose is even cooler. Yep. And it's that, yeah, it's that experiential learning. It's not, you know, the, you know, it is. dig into the whole health, the educational system. And it's like, gosh, when, when you give them an experience, that's when it sticks. You get their emotion. So look at you bringing it back right at the end. So this is how it happened. So I saw Gene Kelly, yeah. right? High school. How do I be that? How do I do that? I want to impact people in some way. ADD all over the place. Not a conventional learner. Coming full through. How do I connect with kids like me? Because kids are more ADD now than they were. They have a seven-second attention span. They, they were, they're like me, like I was. So I have been seeking for the last decade and a half, I've been seeking a way to connect with kids like me who learn differently and through creative ways and means. This is where it all came from was, well, how do I, how do I uh, attach uh, fun and make it participatory, like you're saying, experiential, that's how I learn. And that's how a lot of kids now, and now we have technology to then do that. So, so now, you know, watch out Gene Kelly, because I'm going to be impacting people by not them watching me, but by them being part of something, by them contributing, by them, you know, that, and that hopefully will be even more impactful. Yeah. So amazing. I love it. You are crushing it. And I'm so excited that we got to connect on all this stuff because this is going to be a fun one to put out there. Um, there's one question that I ask everybody that comes on my podcast, and it is a little um, glimpse into hindsight. But what is a one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I would... So I've, I listen to about 50 to 100 books a year and some themes that are very uh, consistent among them, among, among top performers are um, the 80-20 principle, which is, right, 80% of production comes from 20% of the work and vice versa, right? So where can I be most effective? Where is... Is, is the actual good stuff coming from? Where's my zone of genius? I uh, am in New York City with some of the most talented people on earth. Uh, and I, uh, what makes me special is my heart. Um, so I would have told my younger self, uh, relax, follow your heart. Don't be everywhere all at once. Think about how you can be most effective with your time. Uh, because if you're saying everything, you're saying nothing. Uh, and uh, and um, I would also say journal. Because when you're moving so damn fast and you're an ADD person, you go, I don't remember that. I was just moving so fast. I see pictures of it. That would bring stuff back. But I would say journal because it helps you reflect. It helps you make decisions. It helps you grow. And and I've been doing it for the last maybe, I don't know, six months or a year. And it's really been great for me to even write down what happened today. What will I do better? What am I grateful for? Living in gratitude, living intentionally. That's what I would say to my younger self. Yeah. That journey. I'm I'm with you on the journaling. That is, it's an amazing way to mm. slow life mm. down. And then when you look back, it's a really cool thing to have. Well, I mean, your journaling is probably way better than mine. Mine is like, went to this, did this, <laughs> did this. It's not like, so how am I feeling? Yeah. What's the softest part of my heart today? You know, like, like it's not that. Uh, but but you know, once a month, maybe I'll I'll do that monthly recap of. Yeah. What I well, remember. It sounds like you're doing a few other things too. So I, I, I don't, you know. you've got it. You, you got it figured out. <laughs> so, 
Well, um, well thanks so much for having yeah, me. Thank you so much for, for this conversation. And I can't, I can't wait to get it out there and um, just see where the League of Eccentrics goes and follow along. So thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and this is what I meant to say. And I'm just here to remind you to be real, be you and be better. Thank you so much for listening to What I Meant to Say. If you enjoyed this conversation, you know what to do. Subscribe, rate, review. And for more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to BeBetterMedia.tv. Some of these stories contain sensitive content about real-life events, and all of the information in this podcast and from anywhere on the Be Better Media website is for informational purposes only. If you find that you need help, which we all do from time to time, please reach out to a licensed professional for help.